All right, good morning, everybody. Glad you guys have joined us today for week number four of a series that we're doing called I Quit. <laughs> it's a, believe it or not, it's not a series about giving up on 2020 or on life or anything like that, but it's it's really, we're trying to focus in on quitting some of the habits, some of the hangups, some of the behaviors uh, that sort of hold us back from the life that God has for us. It's about letting go of some of the hangups that really can, uh, enslave us so that we can step into freedom. Uh, on the other side of that. Today we're going to be talking about uh, I quit, quit living in fear. And so that's kind of where we're going today. Fear is one of those things. It's kind of a universal deal, isn't it? In fact, I was reading this week, there's actually two fears and only two fears that we are born with. Fear of falling, which is understandable for babies especially, right? And fear of loud noises. But from there, we learn all kinds of other fears, don't we? It doesn't take us long to start picking up other fears. Why don't you chime in with me and, and kind of you share with me, what are some of those things that we learn to be afraid of as we grow up, as we get older? Spiders. Darkness, spiders. Heights, snakes, strangers, being alone. Death? Absolutely. There's all kinds of things we start picking up on, right? Uh, for me, it's bats. I hate bats. Might be irrational, but it doesn't matter. It's real for me, right? Bats, thunderstorms, the boogeyman. We had one of our daughters that used to, like, if she had to get out of, out of bed in the middle of the night, she would jump as far as she could out of her bed just in case there was somebody underneath that was going to grab her feet or something. Where do we come up with those? Or, or for me, uh, I don't know why, but every time I walk in a bathroom, particularly in the evening, uh, in, like, you know, in a full bathroom, and the shower curtain is closed, I open it just just to make sure nobody's hiding. It. I mean, what's that about? I have no idea. But you can, you're kind of you're ready for them, right? I mean, like, what, has that ever happened to me? No. But it's uh, there's just fears that sort of kind of wash into our head. It doesn't take long for us to start learning fears. As we get older, I think the fears change, but they're still so very. Sometimes we, as we grow up, we we are afraid of losing our jobs. We're afraid of the economy tanking. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of COVID. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of marriages falling apart. Maybe somebody leaving us. We're afraid of rejection, abandonment, uh, things like cancer, loss of control, all kinds of things. It's the second time in two months I might add that I've preached on fear. Why do you think that might be? You think this? Yeah, it must be. Yeah. Do, you, do you think our world is? Paralyzed by fear right now is is full of fear. And I have to say, I was thinking this week, how many times, every time, it's the lead story on the news. Every every night is going to be about COVID, or maybe Trump, but I mean, mostly COVID. But they're fearful kinds of things. Most of our conversations center around all the ways our lives are being disrupted. Is school going to start? Are we going to wear masks? Are we going to what? But, but it's, it's this fear sort of talk that's all around us. Are we going to get sick? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to my job. It's fear, 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 fear. Fear has gripped our world these days. I saw a poll that was done, maybe not this week, but the week before, uh, that asked Americans, because we're bombarded with this stuff all the time, so they asked Americans at random, uh, surveyed a whole bunch of people and said, what percentage of the population of the U.S. Um, has contracted COVID? If you had to guess, you know, what, what's the percentage? And the average answer that Americans gave is 20%. They said 20% of Americans have contracted COVID. You know what the real number is? It's just about one, one and a half percent or so of those that have actually uh, been verified as having COVID. One and a half percent. And I, I mean, uh, 
I just think it's easy, especially in this kind of echo chamber where, the, where we're talking about it, we're hearing about it all the time, for our fears to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I was talking and sharing that stat with, um, with a friend of mine in an area here this week, and I, I shared that stat. I said, yeah, but he said, it's way higher than average here. I mean, it might be one and a half nationwide, but it's got we got to be way above that, right? And I said, well, let's do the math. <laughs> and so, I mean, the stats that we typically hear around here for Peoria, Taswell, and Woodford counties, and uh, the population of those, I'm ballparking, but it's about 350,000 uh, people. And so, so far, we're in, like, we just kind of, the last was week or something like that, just hit 2,000 confirmed cases. So that's a little more than half of a percent, right? So we're significant, we're about a third of the national average. But isn't that weird how, how our fears expand? <laughs> I mean, especially when we're hearing about it and talking about it more. And again, it's, I'm... I am not minimizing COVID, I'm not whatever, I'm just talking about how our fears tend to magnify and even get distorted uh, way out of proportion, way bigger than is actually even warranted. Fear is something that every single one of us deals with. We battle with it uh, in one way or another. It's probably why God says over and over and over again, he tells us it's the most common command in scripture, by the way, is fear not, do not be afraid. Maybe he mentions it. I mean, he mentions it hundreds of times. Maybe he mentions it so often because he knows we need to hear it. We need to be reminded that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be paralyzed by fear. Because unlike other emotions, that's what fear does. Fear paralyzes us. It, it, it sort of ties us up. It, it keeps us in bondage. It keeps us from stepping out, from taking risks, even just from enjoying life in general. Uh, John de la Fontaine is sort of the author of Aesop's Fables. I don't know if you've heard those or not, but I've shared this before, but I think this is a great quote. He says, my life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. <laughs> and he's talking about fear and worry, those, those things that we tend to spin and play over in our minds over and over and over. Oh, no, this is going to happen. Oh, no, this is going to happen. Oh, no, I'm going to, you know, all this kind of stuff. He said, you know what? We spend so much of our lives playing those tapes over and over in our heads, and it's based on stuff that will never happen. And I think that's true. I think that's totally true. Yeah. Some of you that are older in the room, anybody remember Y2K? I think that's like the perfect example of that. So for those of you that weren't born yet, let me, let me explain a bit. Like, if you haven't heard of that, it's the whole, like, uh, there was all this all these predictions in 1999 that when uh, the, the clock and the calendar switched over to 2000 into a new millennia, the, all the computers in the world were going to crash basically at the same time. The power grid was going down. The, the infrastructure of the world was going to collapse. We were basically going to get thrown back to the Stone Ages. And you, it might sound like, like, you know, trivial or whatever. I mean, it was, it was the same kind of, it was like every day on the news it was talking about, yeah, here's yet another expert saying how we're, you know, it, it, had, it had the whole world, especially the U.S., especially the Western countries, in a panic. So much so that people were buying generators and stocking up on fuel and supplies. They were building bunkers in their backyard. I mean, like, you know, it was like that kind of a thing, like making sure they had weapons to, to you know, defend themselves against the hordes that would be, I mean, it's like that kind of a thing. And you're like, what is going on? And it's... And, and, so, I mean, people are preparing. I can remember, I mean, a lot of us watched, you know, you're going to watch the ball drop, and you're waiting to see when the ball drops. Is that like game? Does the, does the power go off? You know, like you know, all this kind of stuff. You know what happened? It clicked over from 11.59 to 12 a.m. You know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, how much of our fears, how much, how much energy and money and, you know, just 
stress did we waste on stuff that just doesn't happen? There's this magazine called the Smithsonian Institute magazine, and it said, it, it, I coined this, I thought it was great, it says, we live in what's what they've coined the golden age of fear. The, it's like the golden age of fear. We live in the golden age of fear. And they said, not only, do, not only do we have micro worries, which they refer to as just the concerns and the fears of our life, right, and the stuff, but they said now in this generation, we, we have all these macro worries too that are constantly bombarding us, stuff like COVID, stuff like President Trump, stuff like Russia, stuff like terrorism, stuff like whatever, and, and we're constantly being bombarded so that we live our lives in fear. Because it's not just my life that I have to worry about, now it's all these other issues. Everywhere we turn, more fear, more stuff to worry about. When the, uh, this is great, There's, they did some research on fears, on the things we tend to fear, the, thing, the, the, the things we tend to worry about. And they found, they said 40% of your, the things we fear, the stuff we stress about, the stuff we, the tapes we play over and over heads, 40% of them will never happen. 30% of them, they said, is about stuff that happened in the past and there's nothing we can do about them. 10%, they said, are over trivial things and, and they kind of list a couple others. But, but all in all, they come to the end of the study and said, you know what, here's what we found. Only 8% of the things that we are afraid of, only 8% of the things that we typically worry and stress and fear in our lives are actual legitimate concerns, are actually things that might that will that will happen in our lives. But I was thinking about that and thinking, if, if, so, so let's say 92% of the stuff that we fear, 92% of the stuff we worry about is illegitimate. But how much time, how much of our brains, how much of our hearts, how much of our lives are consumed by that 92% of illegitimate kind of fear? I shared this a couple months ago when we talked about fear, but I'm going to share it again because it's a great quote. From Max Lucado, he puts it this way, and I think it's absolutely true. He says this, he says, fear doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountains. If it can rattle you enough, fear will persuade you to take your eyes off of the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatlands. Fear has the power to rob you of your life, the kind of life and freedom and faith and joy that you were meant to experience. Because of that, God wants you and I to know that we don't have to live in a life of fear. We don't have to be paralyzed by fear. It's why he says, fear not. God says, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Isn't that a great quote? Very true. I'm just going to list a few and we'll hit a lot more as we go through today. But I just want you to hear this from God's word. Listen to some of these words. Isaiah 43. Well, we're going to come and see the rest of these in just a minute. But I want you to hear it first here. Isaiah 43 says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, he says, what does that say? Fear not. He says, this is one place of hundreds in the Bible where God says, do not be afraid. Don't be enslaved by fear. Fear not. Psalm 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Therefore, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? John 16, this is Jesus talking now. He says, I have, he's talking to his disciples. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, he says, you will have trouble. There will be hard things that happen, he says. In this world, 
you will have trouble, but take heart. What do you suppose take heart means? Don't worry. Don't fear. I have overcome the world. Do you hear it? I mean, God saved to his people. He says it in the Old Testament. He says it in the New Testament. He says it hundreds of times as he moved throughout the Bible. He says, do not be afraid. You do not have to live that way. There is a better way to live. Life with God takes you from the path of fear and puts you on a path of peace and of trust. In fact, according to scriptures, we do not need to fear the uncertainty of this life or the next life. And he does pray. There's a lot of reasons they get mentioned in Scripture, but there's two primary reasons they get mentioned again and again and again. When it's, it's time to couple with, don't be afraid, this is why. I want you to hear these today. The, the first one is, don't fear not because God is with you. Listen to this, Isaiah 43, we're going to read the rest of it here, says this. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And then he answer this. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, God says. I absolutely love the Isaiah 43 passage. I mean, not only does God remind us that he is with us no matter what. You know, he's a no matter what happens, when the waters roar and the rivers rise and the fires of life are out of control, he says, I am with you. But he doesn't stop there. He also reminds us of the kind of God that he is. He starts out by saying, by the way, in case you forgot, I'm the one that created you. I am the one that formed you. I'm with you, he says. You're my son. You are my daughter. I have called you by name. It reminds me of the, uh, the Chosen. Aaron told me about this uh, this last week, episode one. If you've ever seen about the life of Christ, it's on YouTube or whatever. But that, there's, that's how the whole episode ends is with this. It's, it's centered around this scripture. I, I have called you by name, and you are mine. He reminds us of, of the kind of God he is. He's the God who loves us so intensely, the one who knows our name, the one who, he is the one that is with us. He is the one that is for us and not against us. He loves you, friends. He loves you ferociously, and he will not abandon you. That's what enables the psalmist to say in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will not fear. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your presence comforts me. Throughout the pages of Scripture, people find supernatural strength and comfort and peace and stability knowing that the living God is with them. I think that God wants you and I to know that too. I think He wants you to know that today, that He is with you. You don't have to be afraid. And if you think about that, it's a big deal. The fact that he is with us is a big deal. I mean, if a good and all-powerful God is with you, wants to do life with you, wants to handle the problems of your world and my world, man, it can change our outlook a little bit, can it? I was thinking this week, there's a there's an old, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed even to mention it, but there's an old documentary called The Bear. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it. It's probably boring and whatever else, but it's, I, can remember, I can remember watching it years ago, and it literally, this documentary falls around this little bear cub. Pretty early on in the movie, uh, the bear's mom dies, and, you, and it doesn't take long to realize 
this cub is toast. I mean, like if if uh, if something doesn't happen, if he's left on his own, he won't make it. And, and they kind of throughout this story, they have this uh, mountain lion that's tracking and watching this cub, and you're kind of like, oh man, I know where this is going. Like this is gonna be bad. But then out of nowhere, and even to the cub's surprise, this big, huge Kodiak daddy bear sort of adopts this little cub and sort of follows it. I mean, kind of takes him under his wing and, and shows him the ropes. He he goes around and he. He uh, teaches the bear how to grub for insects, how to how to fish in the stream and get the catch, and, and how to scratch his back on the tree, and you know do whatever whatever it is the bears do, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty cute kind of movie to watch. And you get to a certain point, and as as you would expect, there's this moment when the the dad, the Kodiak bear, and the baby get separated, and uh, and he starts to okay, well maybe it's okay, maybe he's right, right, right next. And then all of a sudden they start showing the mountain lion thing again, right? And they're showing the, the bear cub wandering closer and closer, like cluelessly, like towards the mountain. The mountain lion's creeping up and he's getting ready to pounce. And there's this moment where there's this the big confrontation between the two. And the little bear cub does exactly what he had seen his dad do, right? He gets up on his hind legs and makes himself big, stretches way out, and goes to let out a roar, but he's only a cub. So it's like, you know, like it's a little kind of thing. And, and you expect that to be the end of the story, right? The mountain lion pounces and, and whatever, but that's not what happens. Suddenly, the, it shows the mountain lion starts slinking back. It turns off and takes off at a dead sprint. It comes back to the cub, who's honestly a little surprised. He's like, I can't believe that worked, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But then, again, as you expect, the camera pans back and you can see the Kodiak bear standing right, right behind him with it, you know, up on his back legs. Uh, and, and, and suddenly, he lets out a roar that lets everybody for miles around know, you are not to touch this cub. And it's this great moment where you realize, even though this little, this little cub, he couldn't see it, he thought he was alone, he couldn't see it, he didn't know it, but there was, his father was watching over him. He was protected. He was never really in danger. I think that's what kind of God is getting at, at in, in Isaiah 43 and in Psalm 23 and so many others throughout the Old Testament. It says, you know what? I get, yes, the coronavirus, and yes, the economy, and yes, I mean, God's probably like, you know, you might have a point on the, the whole, you know, election thing. I mean, that kind of is a mess, but no, but no, despite what's happening out there, he says, you know what, I am with you. I never left. I was never, I was never absent. You might not have known it. You, it, you might not have felt it. it. It might not be what you're feeling, but I am behind you. I am you and there is nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Oh. I think that's probably good. I'll keep going. Um, I, I just think, man, that's a, that's a powerful image. It's something that I think if we get a hold of, it'll change our lives. I mean, you see, again, you see it throughout uh, the Bible. I, one, of the, one of the favorite places for me is like the story of Joseph. Uh, it, for those of you that know the story, it's a story in the Old Testament, and it has got the most ups and downs of any story I've ever seen, right? Like, you're like, okay, oh, he's like a, the favorite child of his father, like kind of the, the, the promised son and all this kind of stuff. You're like, oh, cool. And he, he has some special, gets a special robe and all that kind of thing. You're like, okay, this is good. And then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, his brothers get jealous, throw him into a pit and try to kill him, right? And then, and then they say, well, instead of leaving him for dead, we're going to take him and we're going to sell him into slavery, get some money, and we'll just tell our father he's dead. 
you're like, oh my gosh, what kind of story is this? I mean, like, it, it kind of keeps keeps going through this this whole uh, scenario. And then he goes and he, he gets sold to slavery. So he's working as a slave uh, in Egypt. And he works his way up and he gets opportunity. And then he's falsely accused and thrown in prison. <laughs> and you're like, what is, I mean, it's a huge roller coaster. But there's this one phrase that, that, that kind of tells you how Joseph keeps his faith thrown off. And it just, it just reminds me, he says, yeah, he was, yes, he was thrown into prison and kind of forgotten. He says, but God was with Joseph. It keeps saying over and over, but God was with him. And then it talks about how he'd rise up, how there was opportunities. Yeah, yeah, his brother sold him into prison, but God was with Joseph in Egypt. And he had opportunity to write, and yep, and God was with him. And it, it keeps talking about it over and over and over again. And I just wonder if we need the same reminder especially in the midst of COVID, especially in an era where our fears are just being shouted through a megaphone at us all day long. If we don't just need to be reminded that we have a big God, and he is with us and for us, he will never leave us. But God is with you. Second thing, uh, second from scripture, right? He said, do not fear because God is with you. And secondly, is do not fear because God is in control. Now, I talked about this a little bit last week, but I'm going to take a slightly different spin. Stick with me. The author of Susan Jeffers says that her ultimate fear is really loss of control, a fear that I can't handle or I can't take on something that's going to happen in my life. I can't control the circumstances around me. Something really bad could happen, and I wouldn't be able to stop it. I wouldn't be able to do anything. That, Jeffers says, is our ultimate fear. It's the fear that's behind all the others. And it kind of rings true in my life. I don't know what you think, but I can remember having this recurring dream that I used to have as a kid. I bet some of you have had similar ones where I don't know, I, I couldn't really see or know, but somebody was chasing me in this dream, right? And I was running for my life, you know, kind of thing. And you were terrified. I don't know what it was, but you're terrified and you're running away. And all of a sudden I fall down and you kind of get the feeling that they're getting closer and closer and closer. And I went to scream against in my dream. I go to scream and I couldn't scream. And I go to get up and run, and what happened? I couldn't run, right? And so, like, you wake up in a panic. And I'm like, I think that's what Jeffers is getting at here. Like, that's the ultimate fear is that we are powerless. But I have to say, there's something about that that's interesting to me. Because just because, even if we acknowledge in many ways that we are powerless, or maybe that we're not as powerful or as strong or as in control as we think we are, we still don't have to be afraid because according to the scriptures, the God that is with us is the same God that holds all power, all control, all authority in the universe. This is the God that spoke the world into being, right? This is the God that's got all under his dominion, under his control, under his purview. Can I just be honest here for a second? I was thinking about it this week and thinking, you know, I, you know why we're so afraid of what's going on in our country right now? I mean, yes, there's a loss of control. Yes, the virus and death and all this kind of stuff. But I think underneath some of that stuff, I wonder if it's because we've been putting our trust in the wrong things for far too long. In Christian, sometimes we'll, in Christian circles, sometimes we'll say that fear is the opposite of faith. And, and it is to some degree. I understand what we're saying. But I wonder if more specifically, if the reality is that fear is really having faith in the wrong things, right? Having faith, putting our trust in the wrong kinds of things. Listen, give, give me some examples. If I'm afraid of dying, for instance, if I'm terrified at the idea of dying, is it possible that maybe I'm putting my hope and my trust and I'm betting it all on this life 
rather than on what God says about the life to come. You understand what I'm saying? If I'm afraid of, if I'm terrified of losing my job, could it be that I've misplaced some trust about who's my provider, about where ultimate success is, about all these other things? Have I been putting my, my trust in my own abilities to sort of work my way up or do my magic and have success and have money and have all this kind of stuff rather than looking at Christ and recognizing, you know what, he is, the, he is my provider. Looking at him and saying, you know, he's my real treasure. He's, he's what I want more than anything. Now, I'm not saying that we should blow off work. and no, of course not, right? I mean, we want to work hard. We want to do our parts. But who ultimately is our provider? Who ultimately is in control? If we're stressed out about our economy, could it be that we are putting our trust in money or in stuff or in the government or in social security or in our 401k or our stuff or whatever else. Listen to this. This is one of the things I've been thinking about this week. Fear is putting our faith in something else rather than God. And fear often reveals what we value most and inevitably where we trust God least. Can I just ask you for a second? What is it that you are fearing these days? And what if... <laughs> We put that in the blank here. I put, it, I put it in the notes online. I put it up on the screen here. Just for us to think about, I want you, literally, I want you to answer this for yourself. What is it that I'm afraid of these days? What if, if COVID is freaking you out, if, if you're hearing that kind of stuff and it causes great high degrees of anxiety, what is it that you're afraid of? Are you afraid you're going to die? Is, is that it? Are you afraid you're going to get sick? Are you afraid you're going to lose your job? Are you afraid... What is it that you're afraid of? It's maybe something else altogether. But what is it that you're afraid of? Often what we're most afraid of reveals where we trust God least. Where we say, you know what, God? I'm not trusting you with blank. Go ahead and fill that in. And if you, if you don't have something that comes to mind, I encourage you to jot this down. Or, again, you can look it up in the notes online on, on your virtual church uh, part of our app or whatever. But, like, give some thought to this. What is it that you're most afraid? Where are you trusting God least? Because I think really, it's in times like these, it's easy, it's so easy for us to become fearful, but instead God wants, God wants to use these opportunities to remind us that He alone is our stability. That in Him alone can we put our trust. Real peace and real stability are not found in us being in control. It's not found in everything going our way. It's not found in simply having all the right circumstances going on in our lives. But the kind of peace and that kind of security that we long for can only be found in Christ. It can only be found in a relationship with the creator of the universe. He's the only one big enough and faithful enough and unchanging enough to provide that kind of stability and peace for our lives we hear this kind of thing over and over again in the Psalms. I love it. Listen to this. Psalm 46 puts it this way. God, he says, God is our refuge and strength. God is an ever-present help in trouble. It says, therefore, because of that, we will not fear. Even though the earth gives way, even though the mountains fall into the sea, even though the waters roar and foam, even though the mountains quake with their surging. I love DC, DC saying, he's not putting, the psalmist isn't saying, man, I have peace, I have stability, I will not fear because I can handle it. 
That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, are you kidding me? He's like, my, my, my gaze, my eyes are fixed on God. And he is the one. He's my refuge. He is my strength. He is my help. I am betting it all on him. And because of that, I have nothing to fear. Because not only is God with me, but he's up to the task. Right? He is strong enough to handle anything that comes. Even if the mountains fall into the sea, he says, I'm good. I'm good because God's in charge of all of it. I will trust in him. And again, in Psalm 27, just another one. It says, the Lord, go to the next slide if you would. Yeah, the Lord is my light and my salvation. For he is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength and the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then... Will I be confident? Again, do you see where his eyes are at? Is it on his ability? Is it on his ability to spin the plates and keep everything under his control? No. He says, you know what? I am betting it all on his strength and his power and his salvation. And therefore, I will not fear. Friends, I think for too long, you and I, we have all sort of put our hope and our trust. We've based it on our, our own stability as a, you know, the country or our government or the economy or our jobs or our relationships and ourselves. And of course, those things are great when they work, when they work out. You know, it's awesome. Let's have an economy goes up and to the right all the time. Let's always get raises and always get whatever. It's fine. It's good. But I'll tell you what, friends, if we are putting our trust there on all the circumstances working out the way we want all the time, then I guarantee, I mean, Jesus tells us this, right? He says, in this world, you will have trouble, right? If, 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 we're, if we're betting it all on the circumstances, then there will be days. And when trouble comes, we will have nothing to hang, hang on to, right? And then there will be great fear. But God says, you don't have to live that way. You are not intended to live that way. There's something better. He says, come with me. Know that I am present with you. Know that I am powerful. Put your trust in my strength. Put your trust in my power. Put your trust in my salvation. And you do not have to be afraid. So let's get practical here for a second. Because all of us, again, kind of have the temptation to fear at different times. All of us can be tempted to, to, uh, to get caught up in this. And, and, and so the question is, how do we face our fears, right? When, those, when, when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and it seems like our whole world is in upheaval, kind of like this era, when we are tempted to be fearful and to hide under our covers in the fetal position and suck our thumbs right in the corner, that kind of stuff. in those moments, practically, what does it look like to trust God? What does it look like? To, 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 to kind of move from fear to faith. And I'm just going to hit two things. I, these, I got these straight out of the Psalms. I thought they were great. And uh, just some practical app, kind of application as we go here. The first thing that I think is interesting is just to, we can be honest about our fears. Be honest about, yes, we're afraid. But from that place, we can still choose to trust in God. Now, this might sound strange, but there really is a choice here. You can choose how to respond. You can't necessarily choose how you feel, right? The initial, uh, the initial feeling of fear is normal. We can have those kind of feelings. But you can choose how you respond to that fear. You can choose where you allow your brains to dwell, what you choose to think on. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 puts it this way. It says, we demolish arguments and, uh, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. And we make it obedient to Christ. 
You can actually take your thoughts captive. You can turn your focus and, and, and send it on Jesus. We can actually choose to do this. I was blown away this week because I was reading through some of the Psalms. David does this kind of thing all the time. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't stick his head in the sand and pretend everything's rosy and everything's fine. No, he'll look full on into the problems and he'll proclaim even to God. He'll say, God, I am afraid. But then there's a second, there's a second, there's a movement. There's a choice. Listen to Psalm 56, 2 through 4. It's just one place of then. My adversaries pursue me all day long, and in their pride, they are attacking me. But listen to this. When I am afraid, I am afraid. But when I am afraid, he says, I trust in you, God. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and therefore I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Isn't that great? Now, here's what's going on. Some of you might know the story. But this, is, this, is, this psalm was written when King Saul was coming after him. King Saul was jealous of David, and so was pursuing him to kill him. Now imagine, we can't read that thing, okay, well, gosh, that's too bad. But I mean, imagine the most powerful person in the country, right? Imagine the president of the United States, or the, the, the who knows, the head of the FBI or something. They set their sights on you, and they decide you are an enemy of the state, and they're going to put the full resources of the United States government behind finding and killing you. How would that make you feel? <laughs> right? I mean, it'd be, you'd be like, oh my gosh, the armies, I mean, there's all kinds of people that are seeking you down to kill you. And, and David's like, yeah, I feel that, and I am afraid. He said, but, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to choose, even in the midst of my fear, I trust in you. He proclaims it, and he, he turns his, his gaze and his focus to God. He moves from fear to faith. It's something we can choose to do. Our response to fear. He says, I choose to trust in you. I praise your word. I will remember you and not be afraid. John Wesley, I shared this a while ago too, but I love this. He says this. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist Church. He is responsible for starting, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of churches during his lifetime. Pretty amazing uh, sort of guy back in the early frontier days. He says this. He says, I've never known more than 15 minutes of anxiety or fear in my life. Whenever I feel fearful emotions overtaking me, I just close my eyes. I thank God that he is still on the throne, reigning over everything. And I take comfort in his control over the affairs of my life. Isn't that a great quote? Man, I just, there's, there is a choice. There is something we can practice there. And again, uh, I know many of us struggle with fear. Many of us struggle with anxiety. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here. I'm just saying there's, there is an action that we can take there, right? Where, where we can... We can uh, turn, I mean, we can acknowledge the fear of God, and I am I'm feel fearful, but then bring it to him as well. Lay it down before him and say, God, would you bust in? Would you work? I am trusting in you. I am leaving this at your feet. You are in control. You are present, and I am seeking, I'm looking to you. I am entrusting my life to you. So first thing. Second thing, uh, acknowledge our fear. Choose to trust in God. And the second thing is just to seek him until he takes your fears away. This is cool too. Psalm 34 uh, says this, I sought the Lord, the psalmist says, and he answered me, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from my fears. Inevitably, we're, de we're delivered from our fears as we seek and we, we pursue and we come into closer and closer relationships with our strong and loving God, the one who is with us. As we seek and remember to call on him, to pray to him, to open up his words, to entrust ourselves to him. As we seek 
and draw closer and closer and closer, we realize we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. We are assured that everything, uh, that he's got holds everything in his hands. I think it's interesting uh, just the, what he says. He says, uh, I sought the Lord and right, and he heard me and he delivered me. But it doesn't say he delivered me from King Saul who was trying to take my life. That's not what it says. It doesn't say he delivered me from all the circumstances, made everything work out just the way I wanted. That's not what he says. He said, but it, something about in seeking the Lord and drawing close to the Lord, he delivered me from my fear. There's an interesting part of that too, right? Saying where I'm drawing close to God and my perspective shifts and I see there is a God that's on the throne. He is working out his will in his way. And one day we will all see it perfectly clear. We will see and know in reality that his will will be done. A day is coming when all things will be set right and we will realize we have nothing to fear. And the closer we get to that God, day in and day out, the more we can leave fear behind as we trust in him, as we draw close to him, as we seek him. We are assured of his presence. We're reminded of his faithfulness and his goodness, past, present, and future. We're reminded that we can trust him and we have nothing to fear. The psalmist says, and he delivered me. He freed me from all of my fears. He freed me to, to live to please him alone. He freed me from the what if game. He freed me to follow him into the great unknown with joy and confidence and boldness and peace. He freed me to live my life with him. Friends, I don't know where you're at uh, these days. I'm not sure what fears are being thrown your way, what you're wrestling with. But I'm hoping and praying that you and I will not settle for a life of fear and timidity, but that today and every day that we would learn to turn towards our Heavenly Father. We would put our gaze and our trust in Him. We would seek and pursue Him so that we could know His presence with us. We could know His power over us and so that we could live in a way that we do not fear. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our cry this morning. We just recognize we need you. God, that you make your presence known to us today in ways that we are trusting you little, in ways that fear has been magnified bigger and bigger. God, we, we surrender and lay those things to you. We say, God, would you forgive us? Would you right-size our view of you, God? Would you remind us that you are the God that saves, that you are the stronghold of our lives, the protector, the, the one that surrounds us and protects us, the one that is with us will never leave us or forsake us. Would you remind us of your power, in your presence. Would you be glorified in us, God? And lead us out from this place to live a life with you, to live a life in freedom, to live a life in your peace and in your presence and in your joy. We need you. We open our lives, we open our hearts to you. Please cry out, come Lord Jesus, come and have your way. It's in his name we pray.